All right. So let's jump into the Beatitudes. What we've been doing, we've been practicing uh, listening. We've been practicing moving through this together. I know that some of the families in the room are working through the Beatitudes with their own children and their families. They're praying through the Beatitudes together. I got to say, I've, you know, in 52 years of my life, I've never really sat with the Beatitudes as long as I have in these last couple of months. And it's been really a good practice to just stay rooted in the Beatitudes. So often what we do is we just kind of jump through things and we're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard all of that. But the Beatitudes have a way of interacting with our hearts and challenging us to be transformed into the way of Jesus. So uh, we're going to read them together, and I'm going to invite you to stand one more time, and we're going to read the Beatitudes. What we'll do in common practices, I'll read the first couple of verses, and then when we get to the Beatitudes, we'll read them together. So those first four lines I'll read, and then we'll jump into the Beatitudes together. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, and here we go, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this, my friends, is the good news, right? Amen. Grab a seat. These eight blessings that we've been working through, we've called these the announcement of Jesus. He said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And when he makes this announcement, he's giving us a picture of what the coming government of God looks like. This is the coming government of God, or when I say the government of God, what I mean by that is the kingdom of God. And the word beatitude simply means blessing, or it means to be blessed. And he begins by talking about the poor. And he says, the poor, when they hear my message, they are going to love what I'm up to in the world. The poor are going to be drawn to me, and they're going to come in droves following me. And those who are caught up in mourning, those who are experiencing deep grief, are going to love what I'm up to in the world. And then he throws out this one, he says, and the meek, oh my goodness, the meek, they're going to get the whole earth. Like, what does that even mean? Next week, we're going to look at that one beatitude alone. And I've been sitting with it for weeks thinking, like, what does that mean to be say, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And Jesus moves and begins to arrange his new government, his new arrival. And he says, these are the people that are going to deeply resonate with what I'm up to in the world. Now, as I've said in the last couple of weeks, there are those of us in the room 
when we first hear the Beatitudes, or really hear the Beatitudes, we're going to be a little bit threatened by them. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be uncomfortable. We're going to feel the tension of what Jesus is spinning out into the world. Because as we've said, this is going to require massive change for some of us. And massive change, change alone, is a frightening process. But massive change, where there's a restructuring of life and how we live our lives and the priorities that we step into to go through massive change in those areas are going to require a great deal of humility. I heard this this last week that the Beatitudes are the preamble to the constitution of the government of God. I love that statement. And I thought about that the Sermon on the Mount, which follows the the preamble, which follows Jesus' Beatitude proclamation, are what we might call the politics of Jesus. Now, I've heard it said that Jesus is non-political or apolitical, and I don't think that is true. I think Jesus is extremely political in the sense that his politics and his body of politics are a lot different than any politics that we've seen on the earth or in people. Jesus, how he organizes, how he arranges the kinds of things that he sets up in his new government is called the kingdom of God. It's like all about this conventional wisdom. It's a counterintuitive wisdom that the world doesn't really know much about. And the thing about the Beatitudes is that we probably wouldn't even give the Beatitudes consideration if it wasn't for the one who's actually saying these announcements. For those of us who have placed faith and trust in Jesus, we're at least willing to give him a hear. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead, we're like, you know what? I'm going to sit and listen to what Jesus says and what he does and how he teaches. But if we didn't believe in the one who is saying these things, I'm not even sure we would be inclined to even give the Beatitudes consideration. The Beatitudes are not commands, as we have said. They're not commands. They're just announcements. They're like portals into a whole new way of thinking and being and living in the world. Jesus is not saying you must be poor in spirit or work really hard to become poor in spirit or I want you to mourn. He's simply letting us know these are the kinds of people who are going to be happiest about what I'm doing in the world. They're truly going to be drawn to what I'm up to in the world. Now, I want to put a twist on some of these Beatitudes as we work through just a few of them this morning. And this comes from some other people's perspectives. And so I want to give us some uh, different ways of looking at the Beatitudes. The first one is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we put a bit of a twist on that, we could say it like this. Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual, for the kingdom of heaven is well suited for ordinary people. Is there anybody in the room who's poor at being spiritual? Like you're just not good at it? And you know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, you have those situations like we talked about last week, that if you get called on to pray, we tend to call on those people, the ones who are spiritual or who wear the clerical collar or the robe. We call on those people to pray at, at gatherings, but the ones who we would consider not to be that spiritual, we might say, uh, never, never call on that person to pray. Or I know that there are those of you in the room this morning that if we called on you to pray, like if I said, hey, can I call on you to come up and pray? You'd be horrified. It would be the worst Sunday of your life and you would never come back to this place again. <laughs> and I think Jesus is talking to those of you who are poor at being spiritual. That you look at yourself and say, I don't know if I have much to offer. I'm just ordinary. People don't consider me important. They don't listen to anything I have to say. I think Jesus is talking to you. 
There are those of us in the room who are kind of good at being spiritual. We're just good at it. It's kind of a natural thing. I got to put myself in that position of like, I just, I'm just a spiritual person. I came out that way into the world. I like it. I've always been drawn to those things. And I just resonate with that. And I, and I step back and I look at the beatitude of being poor in spirit. And I think, well, Jesus isn't talking to me in this beatitude. But for those of you who don't have it figured out, those of you who are overlooked or feel completely unimportant, those of you who are poor at being spiritual or no one's ever going to call on you to pray, you're going to love what Jesus has to say. That's good news. Because there's a lot of people that I bump into who are really poor at being spiritual in their own minds. They might say, well, that's that whole thing that you guys do on Sunday or that thing that you do in that building, that's for spiritual people. I'm not really a spiritual person. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're in, you're in the best place. You're exactly where God wants you to be so that he can pour out his blessings upon you. And Jesus is talking as good news is portrayed to those people. You're blessed if you're poor at being spiritual. So for those of you in the room who are poor at spiritual, welcome to the kingdom of heaven. You're good. The second one that we see as he comes through these, these preambles are blessed are the depressed who mourn and grieve for they create space to comfort and encounter comfort from one another. Happy are those who are sad. That's the uh, example of a beatitude being a paradox. Like beatitudes are not platitudes, they're paradoxes. Blessed are those who are sad, for theirs they will be comforted. Like what does that mean? Blessed are you who are sad. If you haven't noticed, we live in a culture that is obsessed with being happy. We're obsessed with it. Listen to me. The document that declares that you have the right to pursue happiness is not your document. Your document is this, the Beatitudes. That's your document. For those of us who have said, I want to follow Jesus in the world because the Beatitudes are the preamble to the constitution of the government of God. So when we grieve and we don't shun sorrow or push it away or try to numb it, but we make space for the immensity of grief and sadness, that grief that swirls around us, you know what happens is that that kind of grief and sorrow actually begins to carve out space inside of our souls. And it's very, very painful and we don't enjoy it, but that's the way of Jesus. And if we make space for that, for that grief and that sorrow to come into life and carve out space for that, we can also increase the capacity to hold great joy. So as that space gets carved out, joy also comes flooding in and somehow joy and sorrow and grief coexist in the same person. And some of you in the room know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you can see that in people. Those who are happy all the time, I don't know if you've ever met somebody who's just happy all the time. I think the reason why they might be happy all the time is that they would tend to have a shallow soul. It's the only way. We have an immature obsession with being happy all the time, and it's in our culture, and it's seeping into our Christianity. And it seems like sometimes what we're trying to do is replace the theology of the cross with the theology of the happy face. And what Jesus does is he talks about a serious Christianity, but I'm afraid that serious Christianity in our culture has given away to inspirational Christianity, which has led to an insipid Christianity. And the question that I live with is, have we replaced 
the theology of the cross with like a pop psychology of happiness. And when we look deep into the heart of the cross, what do we see? Sorrow and grief, carving out space for the immensity of these kinds of things. I think we're uncomfortable with sorrow. We don't know what to do with it, so we kind of create a pseudo-happiness in order to shun that away. And instead of weeping with those who weep, our tendency is to say, you need to just cheer up. You need to just pull it together. And we want them to cheer up many times for our sake because we're uncomfortable with the grief and the sorrow of others. And you know what I think we should do? I think we should join them in their sorrow and enter into their grief and assist them in the work of grief. When we as human beings experience trauma and loss, there's a requirement to process that trauma and that loss. And that process takes time. That is required. And when we enter into the grief and the sorrow of another human being, something beautiful can happen. We begin to realize that we're interconnected as people when we enter into the sorrow of another. The scripture talks about bearing one another's burdens. So I invite your burden to slide onto me to a degree so that we can actually carry this thing together. And when we choose to bear one another's burdens, we lighten the load of suffering. That's the biblical teaching. And the question I want to ask us is, can we create a church? Can we create churches where mourning is not a sign of weakness, but it's an actual spiritual work that must be attended to, that we get to do these things? It's that spiritual work that Jesus says leads to the blessedness of experiencing comfort from one another comfort from within, and then comfort from the Holy Spirit. And the only way for us to be happy all the time is to dive down deep inside into kind of an artificial world of our own making. But if you engage with the world as it is, if you truly engage with it and stay connected to it, I guarantee you that sorrow is going to come crashing into your heart. And it's going to carve out space inside of us. If we engage with it, it will create something deep inside of us. And the promise of Jesus is that that space, that, that hole that gets carved out in us will be filled. You will be comforted is what the scripture talks about. You know, in the Psalms, it talks about joy comes in the morning, right? Each day is a new day and God gives us new mercy. But I like to think that joy comes in the morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. It comes through the morning so we don't dismiss it, we don't push it away, but we create space for it so it's all in there and it's interconnected. You know, you think about the Psalms. Did you guys know that more than half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament? Why is that? Half of the Psalms are laments. I mean, you think about the last 18 months of what we have been through on a world level what we see, what we continue to see, all of the political divide, the racial tension, the divisiveness that we're seeing in the political realm, all the stuff that we're seeing in churches, my friends, we have got to create space for lament. There is a lot to lament over. When I stop long enough and I sit in the presence of my black brothers and sisters, and my Latino brothers and sisters and my Asian brothers and sisters, and I listen to the stories, there's a deep sorrow that moves into my soul. 
as I listen to story after story after story of how they're experiencing life that I do not experience as a white man, there's a grief that moves into my soul. Have we created space inside of ourselves to lament with what people are feeling? Or are we so quick to arrive at our own judgments and to point the finger of accusation instead of stopping, humbling ourselves, realizing what the scriptures say about being poor in spirit? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who make space for the immensity of grief in the world to come alongside of our brothers and sisters who are hurting and say, I'm here with you and I want to mourn with you and I want to enter into this space with you. Blessed are you when you mourn with others. You're blessed. Or how about this one? Next week, we'll look at Meek. But if we look at the next one that Rick mentioned where his family's at right now, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be satisfied. Or how about this? Blessed are those who ache for the world to be made right. For them, the government of God is a dream come true. Isn't that awesome? Blessed are you who ache. Blessed are you who ache when you walk around Seattle, when you walk around the neighborhoods that God has placed you in and you're looking at it. Blessed are those who ache for the injustices that you see that you lose sleep at night because you have this deep ache that has moved into your heart because when you look at the world, it is warped. It is completely out of bounds. And when you look at that reality and you just walk through Seattle alone, you think, my goodness, things are so in chaos and spinning out of control. And the first response, the default of a Jesus follower at the very least is to experience a deep ache. This beatitude says those who hunger and thirst for justice to be done, you are blessed. I want you to think about the last time you experienced hunger and thirst. I was thinking about it this week. I can't remember the last time I experienced hunger and thirst. When I'm hungry, I feed this face. And I've been given resources in order to do that my whole life. There's been moments where I may have experienced hunger and thirst, but the kind of hunger and thirst where you're like, I've got I've to meet this need, that kind of hunger and thirst where you're like, I've got, I'm desperate to meet this need is the kind of thing that I think Jesus is talking about. And when we hunger and thirst because we see the ache in the world, the first response is to move toward it and not away from it. You don't sit back and just pray. You ache and you groan and there's a sorrow that moves in. You know, in Luke's account, I was thinking about Gospel of Luke and Luke gives a, a section of the Beatitudes of Jesus and Jesus gives a warning actually in this Beatitude. He says, those of you who are satisfied, he says, woe unto you who are satisfied. Like, Oh, that should capture your attention. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, if you're satisfied with the arrangement as it is now, you're probably not going to like what I'm going to do in the world. Jesus said, I didn't come to just make a few tweaks here and there. I came to completely alter and bring about a whole new world arrangement to change the current situation. Now, I want to read a few things to you this morning that come from the U.S. Census and the U.S. military. And I heard these this week, and I want to share them with you. And I want you to ache with me for a few moments. And anybody in the room ready to ache? 
We good? Okay. First one, 16% of the world lives on less than $1 per day. That's 1.2 billion people, four times the population of the United States of America. Next slide. 40% of the world lives on less than $2 per day. That's $56 a week for a family of four. That's what they live on. Think about the last time you spent $56, like yesterday. 80% of the world lives on less than $10 per day. Here's another one. 17,000 children die from hunger every day. Meanwhile, the nations of the world spend $3 billion per day on defense. The United States alone spends 56% of that. Each day, for every child who dies of hunger, the nations of the world spend $176,000 on their security, which means we are defending ourselves from each other. That is our priority. $176,000 per child on defense. That is madness. And that is an incredible injustice where we spend billions on defense and the orphans die and the widows weep. At the very least, can we yearn for a better way, a more just way? And can we hopefully contribute to building a better world together? But I think it begins with a painful acknowledgement that the present arrangement as we see it is completely unacceptable. Now, are you beginning to feel the tension of the Beatitudes? You're blessed when you ache. Two years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Thailand and Myanmar. And in Myanmar, Burma, it is estimated that over 90% of girls are in some form of prostitution selling their bodies to survive. Families make sure that their girls are in this lifestyle because they're just trying to survive. It is a major part of their economy. And as I went, there was one evening where we went out to the brothels in Myanmar and we walked the streets. And as I walked the streets, there was a deep ache that moved into my heart and my soul as I looked into the eyes of these girls and you could see the hollowness behind their eyes, hollowed out, hopeless, and walking through and bringing gifts of toiletries and bringing gifts of blessings, just entering in and praying with these girls left an ache in my soul because you know this is not how things are supposed to be. And that deep ache now lives in my body. It lives there. You are blessed when you hunger and thirst for justice. Let me ask you this. Are you poor at being spiritual? You're just lousy at it. You're overlooked. Maybe you're too old now and no one wants to listen to you anymore because people in our society, we have no place for the older generation. If you're unimportant, if you're overlooked and you're not useful to our world because that's how the world works, 
Guess what Jesus says? You're blessed. You're blessed, older generation. We need you. You're a blessing. Are you in a season of mourning where you're, more, you're working through, your heart is broken, you're depressed? You know what Jesus says? You're blessed because you are creating space inside of yourself to experience joy and comfort from another human being. You know how amazing that is? When someone enters into the grief with you and you get to receive that from another human being and that that takes practice and discipline to open yourself up and invite people into those painful places of your heart, but that's what we get to do is invite people into the morning, invite people so that we can make space for the presence of God to expand and grow in us for joy and sorrow to coexist in the same container. And are you aching for this world? Do you ache over the reality of how children are treated and overlooked in our world? Do you ache with our brothers and sisters of color and how they are treated in this world? Well, you are blessed. Blessed. So the question is, is how then shall we respond? My encouragement to you is pay attention to what the Spirit may be drawing you to in this moment. What is the Spirit saying in you? And if there is a lack of an ache inside of you, what's keeping you from that? Is it indifference? Is it comfort? What is it? And what is Jesus inviting you to step into?